We've been on a series focused on spiritual maturity. How many of you are there yet? No? I guess we still need the series now. I guess we're going to go on for a few more weeks. We've got, we got a ways to go. We've got miles to go. Yes, we do. In fact, the more mature you become, the more you're willing to recognize your need, your deficit, the more you're aware of your own hunger and thirst, and the more you realize, I've got to work on this. I've got a ways to go. So that was good, because if you had raised your hand, you would have fallen right into my trap. How many of you have achieved humility? As soon as you raise your hand, you prove that you're not, you're not paying attention, because one would never brag about one's uh, achievement in these areas. So, yeah, this is a little bit complicated, because as you're going, you're actually growing, you're actually gaining ground, you're actually um, on the way, and that's a good thing. But you become more intensely aware of how far you have to go still. Bit of a paradox there, I guess. Five foundations to spiritual maturity. We spend a lot of time talking about intimacy with God, number one. Number two, today, part two, integrity. Integrity. Now the danger is, is that we begin to think of all of these characteristics, all of these qualities in the abstract, wonderful ideals, integrity. I think most of us recognize that it is uh, maybe the most sought after of all the character qualities, maybe the most elusive, and certainly um, rare as we look for integrity in our leaders, in our politicians in our bosses, in our co-workers, in our subordinates, and sometimes even in our own friends. It's a rare and wonderful quality, but let's not keep it abstract. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read a story that illustrates this. I want to draw your attention to a young man who faced the challenges, several challenges in his lifetime, to his own integrity, and somehow along the way, it got built in him. It became part of his character, and it is now the way in which we know him. So I want you to listen as I read from Genesis chapter 39. It is one part, one scene of his story, and then we'll fill it in around, along the way, and then we'll hopefully figure out how this might apply to us, how this challenges us. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, a captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. 
Yes, that's in the Bible. And after a while, his master's wife took took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was born to Jacob. Jacob the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So we're in the lineage of the great patriarchs of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was the firstborn to his favorite wife, Rachel. Now, we're already having some difficulty here because when you have favorite wives and then a favorite son of your favorite wife, as Joseph was, you know that we're about to enter some dysfunctional territory. It's bound to happen. It's predictable. And here we go. So Joseph is the favorite. And he has all these older brothers. He has a little brother named Benjamin, but he's too little yet to to be a player in in uh, in this story. And uh, Joseph um, enjoys the attention and the favor of his father. And uh, his brothers do not because Joseph has taken to telling on them. They're out there doing all the work. And Joseph, um, little, little boy that he is growing up, uh, now a teenager in this scene, is uh, beginning to tell his father about the things that are going wrong, what his brothers are doing wrong. He's the family snitch, in other words. Not a great role. Don't recommend it. Hope you don't raise your kids to, be, to play that role. He gives his son a coat, the famous coat of many colors. In fact, I actually, we have a slide, we have a picture, we have a photo of Joseph. I thought I'd show it to you. Um, I think that's that's him. Looks rather charming, don't you think? So Joseph always wears this coat because it represents, you know, how special he is. Joseph, at this point, is not a person, not a man, not even a child, 
with any integrity at all. He's a prima donna. He is self-absorbed, and he is encouraged to be that way. I wonder if anybody sitting in this room was, was raised like that, um, and you were preferred, and you kind of gained a sense of entitlement, and uh, the world should work out the way that you want it to work out. That's the way life should be. And you learned that you could dominate others, and you could manipulate others, and you had a coat of many colors. If that is the case, I feel very sorry for you because that's a lousy way to be raised. But for Joseph, he didn't know any other way, and he acted out of this role. And uh, every time his brothers had any interaction with him, they grew more and more distressed, upset, and even angry with him. And finally, one day, his father sends him out. This is all in the passage before chapter 39 that I just read. Sends him out to uh, report on his brothers. Well, you know, this is a setup uh, yet once again. And by the way, it does look like Joseph is set up for problems throughout a lifetime because of the way his father treats him. His father has a problem. His father's problem is he has decided to make one of his children the favorite. And uh, this favorite actually puts Joseph at a disadvantage. And I'm wondering if in any way you feel like you were set up growing up. And when you're set up, you know, bad things begin to happen and you fall into certain traps and uh, your character, you know, there are certain flaws that are developed along the way. And you could always use that as an excuse. I lack character in this area. I don't have integrity here because of the way I was treated. It's my parents. It's my family. It's my upbringing. It's my culture. Those are influences, but ultimately, there's a choice that you have to make. And there are resources, apparently, that God can provide. And we're going to see that in this story. You don't have to stay there. You get to to be there. It's understandable that you are there, but you don't have to stay there. There are actually choices. This is where Joseph is. And his brothers become more and more upset with him, and they see him coming now at a distance. You can go back a couple chapters and read about this. Chapter 37, I think it is. They see him coming, and they begin to hatch a plan because they really don't want to hear from him ever again. They really want him out of the scene. They want him out of the family. Um, Their status is, is going down, even as his is going up. Joseph has told them, incidentally, about some dreams he's had. This is ill advised. Um, the first dream is about uh, the bundles of grain that are out in the field collected in Joseph's dream. And the bundles that represent his brother bow down to him, to his bundle, to his sheaf of wheat. And Joseph tells them that story. Then later on, he tells them about the stars in the sky that represent the brothers and the sun and the moon that represent the father and the mother. And they are bowing down before the bright shining star that is Joseph. So he's already, in his own eyes, a superstar, and uh, um, he's sort of enjoying it almost naively, in a childish kind of way, which he's not yet outgrowing and shows no signs of outgrowing. So all of this accumulates into a level of um, resentment on the part of his brothers. Now, if you're looking for anybody with any integrity in the story, look really hard, because you won't find him. Jacob, the father... No, not helpful. Rachel, the mother, we don't hear anything from her, any intervention from her. The brothers, obviously, are falling into the trap of reactivity. They're reacting to this, and now they're about about to act out. Joseph himself, of course, 
It's almost amazing to think that we would even remember such a young man because all of us, having read this part of the story, don't want anything to do with him either. He's not someone fun to be around. He's vain. He's conceited. It's all about him. He's the center of the universe. Others are going to cater to his needs. And by the way, if you have any of this in your own character, um, I feel very badly for the people who have to live with you. And you're going to send friends... Those who want to be your friends, you're going to send them away, ultimately, and you'll be all alone. Unless you are rich enough to hire people to pretend like they're your friends. And you can be that a celebrity and live that celebrity life. And it's all artificial. And there is no real relationship. And there is no real meaning in a life like that. Although, for a while, it seems like everything is going my way. So, he shows up, he's out in the field, they see, they see him coming, and they hatch a plot and it's even worse than you think. Um, yes, to put him down, take him down a couple of notches, they're actually going to take him out. They've got a hit in mind. Let's kill him, one of the brothers says. Let's kill him. And they begin to have the discussion. Well, that's a pretty extreme solution. Well, it actually kind of takes hold, and they gravitate toward that idea until Reuben, one of the older brothers, steps in and says, Ah, uh, Okay, and he's probably having a little bit of, he's having some difficulty thinking how he's going to convince his brothers against their, their malice, their intent. He says, let's put him in a pit, let's put him down in this well, this cistern, and uh, uh, we can decide later on what to do. Let's not act hastily. And so they agree and they put him, they, they, they grab him when he comes and they take off his coat. And uh, they must have enjoyed that moment. This is finally the revenge they're able to get, and they're able to put him in his place, and his place is down deep in that pit. And he's down there, and uh, Reuben takes off and does something for a while, and Judah steps up, the oldest brother, and says, uh, let's not kill him. There's got to be something. Oh, look who's coming. There is a retinue of salespeople, merchandisers, who are heading from this part of the world into Egypt, Let's sell him to the slave traders, and uh, we'll be done with him, and we won't have to resort to that extreme treatment. And so they do. Reuben comes back. He's amazed that they've sold him. He has deep regrets. There's a lot of drama going on within the family. It's a whole soap opera at this point. And again, it looks like this is kind of a lost cause. And Joseph, foolish boy that he is, prima donna that he is, is probably getting something like what he deserves. But you don't end up, obviously, admiring anybody in this story, not even Reuben. He's pretty ineffective, even though he tried to save his brother's life. And there goes Joseph off to Egypt. He's 17 years old or so at this point. And there's no hint that he's going to become somebody. And to become somebody in the context of our conversation today means to become a man of integrity, someone you would admire. He's very gifted. Um, He's very charming. And as we all know now, he's well-built. He is a, uh, he's a hunk, all right? He shows up, and uh, probably through a series of transactions, he ends up in the uh, household of Potiphar. He's a slave. He's a servant. And uh, he's impressed right away, Potiphar is, with Joseph. And so he um, brings him inside. And the servants who work inside are servants who are higher status than the servants who have to labor outside. 
He's inside. Then he's raised another notch and becomes his personal assistant, his attendant. And then finally, he's put in charge as the manager of his estate. And it says that the Lord is with him. Now hang on to that thought because that's going to be key. In fact, it's the key. It's, it, it's the source ultimately of his integrity is that awareness, that consciousness that though I have been abandoned by everyone, including those that I had was closest to, my own family, I've been abandoned by everybody. The Lord is with me. And the Lord provides blessing and favor and prospers him. The Lord can provide all of that. All of the things that we think we have to manipulate to get and sort of raise our profile and make people notice us, the Lord can provide that. In fact, when he provides it, it's real. When you provide it, it's tentative, it's provisional, and there's a tendency to lose track of it. The Lord is with him. And now Joseph settles into a new role based on his confidence that the Lord is with him. And now those gifts that he truly does have, we're not talking about the image he's been trying to project. So many of us work so hard to project an image. But who are you really? What gifts has God put inside of you? And are you really willing to work kind of quietly and behind the scenes and without any notice or any applause? Are you willing to work on those and develop those gifts as God shows you what those are and develop those? And out of that integrity, I'm going to use the word for the first time, showing and describing Joseph. For the first time, Joseph begins, he becomes somebody. There's a real man here. There's a real person here. Because, foundationally, the Lord is with him. He knows that, and he begins to operate upon that assumption, even though he's still a servant. A lot of us are waiting to develop integrity or to develop our gifts or to become a benefit to the world around us once we have, you know, sort of all that we need. And once we have, you know, gained the, the, the attention that we think we have to have. But before he gets any of that, Joseph is working, at, and he's working in obscurity here. I mean, he's a slave in the household of Potiphar. He's, he's valued, but it's a very small little company he's working for at this moment. Are you willing to do the hard work and, and to labor in anonymity without a whole lot of um, attention or a whole lot of reward? Are you willing to prove that you are, in fact... God's man, God's woman in that setting. Are you willing to do that? It's all going really well. Okay? Maybe it's beginning to pay off. And most of us kind of operate upon that sort of, um, I'm going to work hard if there's a reward. And if the rewards are coming, and they're starting to come now. He's starting to get some recognition. He, he, he feels that he's entrusted. And he's bringing a blessing to others, by the way. Notice that that's one of the first early signs that there's something good going on here. It isn't his recognition. It's the blessing of his good work and of his good relationships with other people. He's, he's providing that blessing. God gives him favor. He gives blessing. He now gets and earns trust. And that trust gets him what? What's the ultimate re reward? More responsibility. Okay? And Joseph is moving on that track, and he's going on that course. And he's doing extremely well. But you know, this is the real world. And the real world can get messy, and it can get complicated. And not everybody else out there has good intentions. It wasn't true of his brothers. They didn't. And it isn't true of this woman, Mrs. Potiphar, 
whoever she is. And she hits on him. She comes on to him. You know, sort of discreetly, she thinks, you know, while her husband's away and while nobody else cares. Probably in front of the other servants because they can't really intervene or do anything about it. She has a lot of power. In fact, she's probably the most powerful person in the whole house. And she knows how to manipulate her husband. And she's trying hard to manipulate Joseph. And there is something very attractive about a man who has real integrity, besides the fact that he's a hunk and it works out and looks good. And by the way, every guy in this room right now, not every guy, there are some men of integrity here in this room, but every other guy, I'm teasing you, is wondering what Mrs. Potiphar looks like. No, I don't have a, I don't have a picture. I don't have a picture. I looked at Rembrandt's picture, but it was a nude, and I decided it was inappropriate for, for church. And you know what? If you are too interested in, how, in what she looks like, you're betraying a lack of integrity. Because some of you are thinking, well, if she wasn't that good looking, I'm not that impressed with Joseph. And if she really was good looking, some of us, if we're really honest, would say, well, let's, let's think about this for a moment. What, what am I turning down? What am I running away from? It shouldn't make any difference at all what she looked like. And all the women in the room are going, that's right. It shouldn't make any difference. Because it's a matter of integrity. It's a question of right and wrong. And Joseph has landed there, and he raises his objection. And the first time, because it's a little bit more subtle, and she's coming on to him, he says, well, let me make this very clear. I couldn't do that. I've been placed in this position of responsibility. Your husband's husband trusts me. You're his wife. I belong to God who is taking care of me. No, this is not going to happen. End of discussion. Well, it's not for her. And she comes on to him day after day after day. And finally, when she can't control herself, and finally when she's feeling like she's really powerful, she grabs him and grabs his cloak and tries to pull him toward her, and somehow when he gets close enough, his resistance will melt. And by the way, that isn't the time for a long discussion with Mrs. Potiphar. That discussion happened earlier when it was a little bit more of a, of a possibility. Now it's a demand, and he does what we all should do, what every man of integrity should do. You run. You run as fast as you can. There is no other way to win, and you still might lose from a human point of view. But in terms of your integrity, there's, there's no time for discussion here. And it is true the attraction level might go up and you might lose your commitment and therefore your integrity if you let that happen. So Joseph runs away. Now Mrs. Potiphar, you have to give her some credit. She's a shrewd lady. And she's now the woman spurned. Okay, And that probably hurts her feelings a little bit. And notice her reaction to all of this. She turns to her servants and she says, 
This slave who has been brought to us, this Hebrew slave who has been brought to us, she's kind of making herself, you know, the servants are now her peers. Look what's happened to us, she's saying. And she's implying that this Hebrew slave who has been brought to, has been brought to us by my husband. My husband. What was he thinking? And by the way, why did he bring a Hebrew in? There's, a, there's sort of an ethnic prejudice here thrown in as well. Those Hebrews, those, those dirty, untrustworthy scoundrels, those, those Hebrews. And this slave. And then she concocts the story. And the story changes. And of course it changes because it isn't the coat she tore off of him. It's the cloak he left on her bed. And that's what she tells the servants. And they can't do anything about it, but she's building her case. And so now she will go back to them and use them as witnesses for her case, even though nobody saw this, nobody witnessed that. And if they did witness it, they still had to go along with her, unless they had integrity. But your integrity may have been intimidated right out of you if you're a slave, because the power of life and death resides in your owners in those that you are supposed to please constantly. You'd better agree with her. And then her husband comes home, and now there's going to be hell to pay. And she doesn't leave any other option for him. She tells him what happened. It's a similar story. It's not quite the same. But he, was, he came and he made sport of me. He has insulted me. And if he's insulted me, he's insulted you, my husband, my master, the one that I love. And now the whole household is affected, and you must eliminate him. And by the way, in that culture, in that time, if you assaulted a woman, uh, there's a capital offense. That's a capital offense. If you're a slave who assaults your owner's wife, that's the death penalty. Notice that he is not put to death. There's 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 a suspicion here that Mr. Potiphar had some questions. But he was politically forced into a position where he had to do something, and he had to remove Joseph. The scene was was, uh, too inflammatory, and he had to remove Joseph, but he only had him put in prison, which, of course, in a sense, was as good as death because he would disappear and you would never hear from Joseph again. When there may be a moment of hesitation in Potiphar's mind, I've got to get rid of him. I can't... You know, I can't contradict my wife because that would be a horrible thing. That would imply horrible things about her. But I can't have Joseph here anymore. I don't think he deserves to die. My wife does this, I think. Probably there was a bit of a habit because when you lack integrity, you don't just fall into a sin or a moment of behavior. It tends to be a pattern for you. And so Joseph, a man of integrity... A man of integrity, even to the point of resisting, you know, the overture of his master's wife. And if you were clever, you might have been able to get away with an affair and nobody would know it. Potiphar wouldn't be the wiser. He's a man of integrity. He won't even go there. He won't even think about that. He won't plot it out in his mind. What if? Be careful with those what if scenarios. You open that door mentally. You open that door as a fantasy and you'll walk through it sooner than you know, sooner than you ever imagined you could. Joseph is a man of integrity now. It began with God's pledge to be with him and Joseph's experience of that and Joseph's sense of being blessed and then giving others blessing. Joseph is now finally becoming somebody significant even though he pretended like he was before. He wasn't. Now he is. And what's his reward? Prison. 
is his reward. So how do you feel about integrity now? You want to be a person of integrity? That could happen. You could be penalized for doing the right thing. And then we find out that in prison, because Joseph is still the same person, because he can thrive anywhere, because God is with him, it says, once again, we're reminded, God, the Lord, God is with him. And when God is with you, you have his favor. And when you have his favor and allow him to define your value and your worth, not your circumstances, not your setting, slave, prisoner, those are external labels that others apply to you. Who are you? That's what, the, that's what that question of integrity demands. Who are you on the inside? Regardless of your circumstances, your settings, whether you're doing well, whether you're, whether you're doing low, whether you have a lot of money, whether you have no money at all, whether you're in a great position with great prestige or just kind of a journeyman, a journeywoman, you know, doing what you're supposed to do without a lot of attention. Who are you? And now we're asking a question that only can be answered by God. God defines who you are, and so Joseph knows who he is in prison. And he continues now to use the gifts that God has given him. And he continues now to bless the people around him. So much so that the warden, who holds in contempt all those who are in prison, notices this man. Because this is rather remarkable. A man of integrity. Most of us sell our integrity when the pressure goes up. Easy to have integrity when everything is going our way. What about when it's not going your way and you're being punished for doing the right thing? And you're now in this miserable place and you have no future that you can imagine. What happens to integrity and your integrity and your commitment to integrity and your perseverance at that point? Joseph continues now to be this new person, this new man. Not Joseph the kid in the coat. This is Joseph, I want to call him Joey, the kid in the coat. This is Joseph now, the man, God's man, who believes that God still has something in mind for Joseph. And if that simply means blessing another prisoner, that's enough for Joseph right now, because the Lord is with him. And the warden notices, and once again, because the Lord is with him, And Joseph provides blessing in the small responsibilities he's been given. He is now given greater trust, and he's therefore given greater responsibility. And now Joseph basically runs the prison like he ran the household of Potiphar. And there are no women coming on to him, which is a good thing. We can assume. But there are lots of other difficulties about prison life that we probably can't imagine and don't even want to know. And there we leave him at that moment. Now, you know the rest of the story. I think you do, because this is one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. But it's not just a story of, of, of you know, good luck turning to bad luck, becoming good luck again. This is a story of integrity. And the Pharaoh hears ultimately about Joseph. And the Pharaoh recognizes the character and integrity and special insights and gifts that Joseph has. And he elevates him. And as Joseph proves himself, now he begins, he becomes the confidant of the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh elevates him to the level of governor. He becomes second in command in Egypt. 
He will save Egypt by a plan he ultimately develops because Egypt is going to go through a famine of seven years and they have to have the right policies to prepare for what's coming, the famine after the time of plenty, the years of plenty. And Joseph has a plan. You want a person of integrity in a time of crisis. Whether it's a crisis in your family, crisis in your community, a crisis in your nation, crisis around the world. You want a man, a woman of integrity. Where do you find them? Good question. Where do you find them? And here's Joseph. And not only does he rescue Egypt in this crisis. And what's in it for him? Well, nothing except this is who he is. So you don't even have to ask that question of Joseph. You don't have to, you don't have to provide him with external props and rewards. You don't have to give him inducements. This is who he is. You can count on him. And his gifts are unleashed, and they're unleashed in the service of what God values which is what blesses people. And not only that, but his family that long ago gave up on him and turned against him, they're going to be saved because the famine reaches all the way out to the east in Palestine. And others from around the world are going to come to Egypt to get the food they need so they can survive. So not only is he the, the person who leads in Egypt, he's kind of a savior of the world. He's a preview of the Christ to come. Now, Joseph was not perfect. Joseph began in a bad place. Joseph had no character at all. But once he got in touch with how God could help him in the worst of circumstances, and he was willing to trust God in the worst of circumstances, that became a foundation for building a character and for creating integrity and making Joseph an extremely valuable friend and leader and co-worker and human being. And, and that's, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. It's, we often look at behavior because we can't see integrity. It's not visible to us, so we look at behavior. But remember that this behavior, whether it's words or actions, you know, when we make judgments about people based on words and action, it's character that underlies it. And underlying character is identity. You have to know who you are because who you are creates your character. And so if, if you're in an intimate relationship with God and you see how God is involved in your life and you know what God has done for you and you're living constantly in the gratitude of that and he, that he is present with you, he's not going to leave you, that he's going to protect you no matter what the threats and that he's got these promises about the future that will come true because it's God saying it. If you've given yourself to that and you believe that, out of that shapes a character. And you become like the one you are spending time with, the one who is with you. You become like God. You, you, you take in his character. And now you start making choices that become habits. And those habits manifest in specific behaviors. And people are drawn to you because of that. It's much more about the integrity than it is about any particular gift you have. Much more about integrity than it is about any particular image you have. And big, a lot of suspicion, especially today, about image. We don't trust image. We don't trust what we see. We don't trust what we hear. We don't trust promises that people make. We've been betrayed too many times. But someone who tells the truth when no one's looking, who does the right thing, even if there's no reward, in fact, he gets punished for it, who proves himself or herself 
during the worst of times is a person we can't hardly resist, is the person that you want to be, is the person that we need you to be, that your wife needs you to be, and your husband needs to you, and your closest friends need you to be this kind of person. Because it's all about trust. It's all about trust. Now let me add just another few practical suggestions related to developing integrity. I hope that you'll go back and read the story of Joseph again, especially chapter 39, and look at it and say, what are, what are the insights into this development of, of integrity that I see in these scenes where Joseph is put under extreme stress? And by the way, you only notice integrity ultimately when someone's under pressure. When it's going well, we all behave, you know, in, in, in uh, reliable and conventional and usually, you know, benevolent ways. But when it's not going well, either when there's a, a temptation to jump out of that and it's too strong or a threat that's too great, we tend to diverge and we forget who we are and we forget who's promised to be with us and take care of us no matter what. You can learn integrity. If you're sitting here right now saying, I'm not sure I've got that. I think I've got some holes in my integrity. I'm not sure what the scouting report says about me. Do I have the tendency toward integrity? You can learn to do it. You can revisit the level of assurance you have in terms of God's presence in your life. Lord, I've got to rebuild that relationship because I know that's the foundation. I know you're the rock. I know that you will give me and you will recreate and you will rebuild, if necessary, the integrity that I've, that I've given away, that's, that's, that's evaporated out of my life. So you can, you can learn integrity. You can build again, starting today, on that foundation of the presence, the protection, the promises of God. Where else would you go? You can recognize that in the worst of situations, God is working on a larger purpose. So at this moment where it seems like things are falling apart, do not let this be, in your mind, the last chapter of your life. This is, you're on the way to somewhere, because God has something in mind for you. There is a larger purpose. And you're going to remain loyal and steady under the worst of assaults and criticism and unfair treatment and injustice. You're going to remain who you are because you're not defined by what somebody else is telling you or threatening to do to you. And finally, you're going to make any sacrifice in the moment. A person of integrity will make the sacrifice because it's the right thing. It's the right thing because it's what God says. It's consistent with God's character. It's what God wants. It's what God has told me. So I'm willing to make a sacrifice, and I believe my sacrifice, I believe, sometimes this is a real leap of faith, this sacrifice is going to be redemptive. It's going to be part of the larger purpose. There's a reason for this loyalty. I'm not just making a fool out of myself here. I believe this investment is the one that counts. In fact, if I leave this relationship with him, and if I step out of character, I will be a fool. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. And if you have, step back into that relationship 
and step back into that character that God himself has designed for you. Can we take a moment and pray about all this and think through this in terms of how your story reads? I wonder how your story reads. There are moments when I'm sure your story is not pleasant to read. When you have compromised, when you have dropped out, when you have gone sideways, when you have acted out of character, when you just gave up and gave in 